Well, this morning uh, we're in our series in the book of Exodus, so if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 4. If you don't have one, there should be one in a chair around you, in front of you, behind you, to the side of you, and it'll help be helpful for you as you look at the text as we go through it. Uh, I've entitled the message this morning, Reasons um, or Excuses, question mark. And there's all kinds of reasons or excuses people give for doing something or not doing something. I was looking at some lists that uh, children give for not going to school, and here are some of the ones that uh, I found. Um, Why weren't you at school today? My dad forgot to do my homework for me. Um, Secondly, um, I left my homework in the back of a pickup truck, and it went through the car wash. Um, Jimmy wasn't in school today. He thought it was Saturday. Uh, Mom burnt my milk. Not the toast, but burnt my milk. Um, This one I like. My dog asked me to stay home. What a gracious thing to do, right? Um, And how about this one? I mean, I I worked very hard yesterday in school, and I just need a break. (laughs) And then finally, I feel coming to school today would just, I would experience more, more failure, and failure just crushes me. There's all kinds of reasons why people decide to do something or not do something, and sometimes children are brutally honest, and uh, sometimes they're just like us, they're just looking for ways to get out of something they know they ought to do. But we're going to look at some things this morning in which we um, have someone talking to God, and he's uh, wrestling with what God wants him to do and to be. And I think uh, if we're honest with ourselves, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, whether we're still trying to decide, or are we going to jump into this thing of knowing God through Jesus or whether we're going to just keep looking to see if it's really real, there comes a point in our life where we have to say either yes to God or the alternative is what? This is not a tough question, all right? There's two alternatives when God asks us to do or to follow after him. Either we can say yes or we can say no. And when we say no, uh, if, if we were around God or if we were around other people, the question would be, well, why? Why aren't you saying yes to God? Why are you saying no? And sometimes, if we're hoping to make ourselves feel better or the people around us feel better, we'll give reasons. And I just want to share with you that reasons um, said to God or to others is, is not a bad thing when you're struggling about uh, what you ought to be or to do, and you're not sure what you're being told is what's for you, you might, uh, you might debate it. You might uh, argue with it. You might give some reasons why uh, you're going to go down a different path than the path someone is asking you to go on. Now, obviously, when we deal with each other, uh, that person who's asking us to do something might not be the smartest person in the, in the room. Okay? We might think we know more than they do, and so we want to we push back. Obviously, with God, uh, we know he's the smartest person in the room, so we, we can't argue with him intellectually. But maybe what we would do would say, well, maybe, maybe I haven't really heard from God clearly. And so what I think I'm being told, maybe that's not really what he wants to say to me, so I'll, I'll give reasons why that can't be so. Now, that's to update our experience. Now, we know Moses was encountering God directly, so he couldn't somehow think, I, I'm not hearing God uh, clearly because God was speaking right to him. But hopefully, as we look at the passage today, we can all kind of, um, we can kind of see ourselves in, in Moses' place and how we might tweak it a little bit differently as we try to uh, somehow put to, to rationale why we do or don't do what we do for God when he, he seems to be speaking in our lives and we're still wrestling with what he has to say. 
So let's look at it this morning. It says Exodus chapter 4, 1 through 17, but we're going to go back a little bit to look at his a couple um, responses to God when he was wrestling with what God was calling him to do. If you remember last week, we looked at that familiar experience of Moses where he, he was encountering God in a dramatic way. He was encountering God because God revealed himself in a burning bush that was not being consumed. And, and then when the, the, the mystery of it was, I've never seen something like this, began to be focused in clarity, that, that bush began to talk to him. Now, how about you? I've never had that experience. I never found a bush that was inflamed, and, and then it started to talk to me. But, but this happened to Moses, and God speaks to him and says, I'm going to deliver the, your people from the bondage and the burdens of Egypt. And, and that was all great until he said to him, and I'm going to use you. And now Moses take, takes a step back and said, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure you, you understand what you're actually asking me to do because I, I don't qualify. And this is where we're going to look. We're going to look at reasons. But I want you to, in the first part, there's basically two parts of the message. Though the last part is, is, uh, is at the very end, and we're not going to spend a lot of time with it. Because when we, when we encounter God, sometimes we, we think that, that God can't handle our objections or our concerns. And I want to I just announce to us all again, a reminder for probably many of us here, is that, that, that God... God delights for us to be honest with him. And if you haven't read the book of Psalms recently, read, read through a number of them, and you will find that the psalmists are very honest with God. In fact, they are frustrated with God often, and they're called like the lament psalms or the imprecatory psalms. And they're, they're calling God to do something he doesn't want to do, and they're lamenting about things God has done or hasn't done for them, and, and, and they're wrestling with God. And God is very patient with them. Aren't you glad God is patient with you? And and we're going to see this in in responding to Moses, but there comes to be a limit with how patient God will be with his people. And and here's the spoiler alert. God is, in a sense, happy to respond to to Moses' reasons why he doesn't think he should be the one to deliver by the hand of God his people from the the burdens that are found in, in Egypt. But then there comes a place where God's patience runs thin. So thin that it comes to a place where it says, God's anger burned at Moses. And so this is not particularly a fire and brimstone message, but let's just be honest. Sometimes, sometimes we want to focus on the love of God or the patience of God, and we don't realize there is a place where we can tick God off. That God could be mad at his own people. Not, not the people out there, which it's easy to, to wail on people out there, but the people in here. When we move from reasons to excuses, or in Moses' case, it was a excuse or an excuse. And it says in just one line, God's anger burned against Moses. So let's see it this morning. Let's look at the, the reasons where God was patient with him. And, and we often need to be assured that, that we've heard God correctly or God is, is able to accomplish in us what he says he, he's going to accomplish. And so this is where Moses was at. So here we go. Uh, w- when you want to say no to God, do you give reasons or excuses? And this is Moses talking to God. And let's look at Exodus chapter 3. We looked at it last week, but I'm going to just go through the first couple points fairly quickly. 
Therefore, come now, and I will send you, this is God speaking to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people to the sons of Israel out of Egypt. But, and be careful about using but or however with God, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Now, basically what he's saying there when he says, who am I? He said, look, I, 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 I want you to understand what you're asking me to do, I can't do. I can't, I can't do this. Who, who am I to do what you're just asking me to do, to be the, the savior, the deliverer of, of God's people? Or to put it another way, he says, look, I, I don't know if, you're, if, if you have thought about this enough. You're calling someone to do something that they lack the ability to do it. Have you ever had someone ask you to do something that you don't have the ability to do? I've had that happen to me many times. You know, that people say, can you fix my computer? I go, No. It's not I'm unwilling, I just don't have the ability to do it. Will you, will you help me rewire my house? Well, I, I'm willing to help, but if you want that house to, to burn down, you're asking me to do something I don't have any ability or you know, sense about doing. But this is not one human speaking to another human about something they don't have the ability to do. This is God saying to Moses, do this. And, and Moses is saying, ah, who am I to do this? So God answer, answers that, and we looked at that last week. He says, in the, uh, the next passage, but um, in verse 12, and he says, Certainly I will be with you, for this shall be the sign to you that is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. So how does he respond to Moses? And he was honest here, I think, and God was patient with him. I don't have the ability. I can't do this. He says, look, it's not what you can do. It's what I can do. It's not who you are, but who I am. It's not who you are. Are, but whose you are. And if I'm on your side, you've got all you need. And isn't that what it says in Romans 8? If, if God is for you, who can be against you? And so he doesn't pump Moses up without his ability, but he pumps him up with his ability, God's ability to say, if you've got me on your side, you can do this. So that we looked at that last week. Let's look at the ex, next objection, which I just touched on last week. Then Moses said to God, I've got another problem. Now, be patient with me. It's not in the text, but that's really what he's saying here. Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, they may say to me, what is his name? And, and here's the question, what shall I say to them? Now, here, he's not saying I can't do it. What he's saying, I don't have the credentials to do it. Or put it, I don't have the authority to do it. And sometimes we're in that position when we're asked to do something. Well, I, I can do this, but, but no one's given me permission to do that. You ever in that situation? You know, you could do something, but that's not your place to do it. Raise your hand if you ever been in that place. You know, well, I could help, but uh, I, that's not my place. No one's given me the authority or permission to do it. And, and so God recognizes this as a reason. So, so I'm going I'm to give you some help here. I'm going to give you the permission to do what I'm calling you to do or the authority to do it. And how does he do that? He says, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, that's basically the answer he gives here. And as we read that initially, we think, well, I don't know how convincing that would be. But I think you need to understand the context here. Basically, what God is doing here is playing the God card. He says, when, when they say, you don't have the authority to do it, just play the God card. He said, well, how do I play that card? Well, identify who's the one sending you. 
Well, who is the one sending you? I am is sending you. Well, for us, that probably wouldn't be that convincing. He, he just turned a phrase. And the first phrase there was, I hear, I hey, I hear, I hey, or Yahweh. And, and what you need to understand about that, again, it had been 400 silent years from when Joseph had brought them into uh, Pharaoh's land, Egypt, and it saved both Pharaoh and the, and the Hebrew people. But now it had been 400, up to 430 years, and there had not been a prophet that had risen. And uh, much of what they had heard about God, they weren't necessarily hearing in a new way because there had been no prophet that had risen. And there had been oral tradition that was later recorded by Moses. And it's quite possible, if not probable, that as they talked about God, Elohim or Adonai, which are other words used for God in the Old Testament, is that they had not been using the term Yahweh. And so when he says, when they say to him, what authority do you have to do this? He now resurrected in a sense, and it had been used in Genesis, Yahweh. Tell them Yahweh is sending to you. You know, in the New Testament, as you think about looking at the Old Testament, you need to always understand it's still telling us the story of Jesus. You know, Jesus did this exact same thing. He, he, he used this particular name when people were listening to him and weren't believing him. Well, who, 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 who gives you the right to tell us what to do? Who, who, who do you think you are? And, and Jesus did the miracles, the miraculous, and they couldn't argue with the miracles. But when he did the miracles, what, what did they say about Jesus? Well, I know you do the miraculous, but who gives you the permission to do that miraculous? And who gives you the power to do that? And they said, you do it from the power of Beelzebub. Remember that story in the New Testament? It's the evil one who's giving you that power. And you know what Jesus would say back to them, you know, uh, among other things? Uh, he would say, I am. In John chapter 8, verse 58, after a discussion with them, as they were arguing with his ability to say what he, he, he was saying to them, and in John chapter 8, there's that familiar phrase, uh, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And they go, well, who, <laughs> what makes you think that we need your uh, a word of freedom. We're, we're, we're our own people. We're, the, we're, we're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, you don't know. You're in slavery right now. And you're after the father of your evil one. Well, what, what, what gives you the right? You think you're greater than everyone else that have spoken to us? You think you're greater than Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And you know what it says at, right after John 8, 58? After, verse 58 is verse 50. Before, after verse 58 is verse 50. I just want to know if you're still were with me. Okay, is that at, you know, after John 8, 58 is John 8, 59. And it says they picked up stones because they knew this one who was in front of them was saying, my authority comes from God Almighty because I am God Almighty. So, so Yahweh was telling Moses, your authority is telling them, Yahweh has sent me. He goes on in this text, and we won't take the time to look at it, but he says in, in Exodus chapter 3, he says, you know, tell them it's the God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, the historical God is sending them to you. And let me tell you, when, when, when I send you, you're going to go to the elders, and they will listen to you. Sometimes we can get nervous around people when we think that they're not going to listen to us, and we need to realize that if God is with us 
And even whether we discern or not, they're going to hear what's said that's true about, about the living God. In John 18, again, we won't look at that passage as well, but Jesus also used the I am statement, the Yahweh statement, when, um, when he was arrested. And they asked him, well, who do you come to see? Jesus. And he says, I am. And you know what happens in John 18, verses 4 through 6? It says that when he said, I am, they all fell down. Because that the word of identification that he is the God, the self-existent, self-evident, all-powerful God, they could not handle that. And as we think about when God calls us to be his spokesman, and let's let's be honest, uh, we have the greatest message that you could ever conceive, that God wants to forgive us of our sin. He wants to bring us back in a right relationship with him. He wants to send us to that prepared place that he has for anyone who knows and loves him, way beyond the experience of this world. He wants to ex- us to experience his peace and his joy. He wants us to change us from the inside out. Well, who, who gives us the authority to give that message out? Well, you know, who died and put you in charge? Well, God did. His son died and rose from the dead and gives us his authority. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Because we, we wrestle with our own authority to, to, to say what we say. And, and in our day and age, now what is, what is attacked as much as anything else, it's kind of a technical word, but it's our technical way to say it. It's the exclusivity, exclusivity of, the, of the gospel. In other words, the gospel is exclusive. It's saying the only way to get to heaven, the only way to get to a living relationship with God is through Jesus. And they say, well, what about all the other ways? What gives us the right to say it's, that Jesus is the only way? And it sounds to me like, it seems to me that Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, well, it's one thing for Jesus to say that, but what gives us the right to say it? Well, look at uh, Matthew 28. We'll go up to verse 16. He says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which he had designated, which for those who went to us to Israel, it's probably Mount Arbel, which which is a a great hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee and the towns of Israel, but also to the Decapolis, which is the ten cities of the Gentiles, looking over both Jews and Gentiles in terms of their living. He says, uh, At this mountain, he he gathered his disciples, in verse 17. When they saw him... This the disciples, they worshipped him. But then it goes on, but some were doubtful. How could they doubt now? They had seen the resurrected Lord because they knew that resurrected Lord was leaving them. Not now what was going to happen. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. How much authority is that? I don't know what you want to say. That's a lot of authority, right? All in heaven on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Speak about me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Take the things that I have told you, now tell, tell them to everyone you can. And then he closes this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What did Jesus do right here? He did the same thing that God the Father did with, with Moses. Who am I? Well, you are the one that God's going to be with. I am with you. Well, what authority do I have? I have all authority, and I am the one commissioning you to speak for me. 
Now, at this point, you might be thinking, oh, okay, Moses has to be convinced now. I guess even though I might not want to do it, I'm going to go because you've given me the ability and you've given me the authority. But just like us, there are times where we, we still have other things that we're wrestling with, right? And we're, we're trying to maybe get out of something we don't think we can really do or do well. So he moves on, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has appeared to you. So basically, he says in terms of God's calling for his life, I can't do it. And then secondly, I don't have the credentials to do it. No one's going to follow me. But then he goes on and says, well, I can go, but they're not going to believe me. Now, think about it for a moment. That's, that's really logical. You know, Moses, who hadn't heard from God in a verbal way, as far as we know it, for the 80 years of his life at that moment, he felt he had the hand of God, and that's why he, he kind of went ahead of God and, and tried to deliver his people. But it was probably, you know, he'd heard secondhand things from his parents. Mabel, you were a favored child. You were a, a beautiful child, and God preserved you through the Nile, and God has something important for you to do, and you've been put in the Pharaoh's court for a reason. You're going to be well-educated, and you're going to learn all the, the um, important lessons of life uh, uh, both from us and this, this world power. Uh, but he was still kind of relying on himself. So he goes away, and, and now he realizes that he, he can't rely on himself. And now he's probably come to that point saying, look it, I can't go back there. I was a failure the first time. They're not going to believe me. Don't you remember the last thing they said to me? You, who, 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 again, who died and put you in charge? You might be the prince of thieves. No, the prince, not prince of thieves, the prince of Egypt. But, but you are not in charge of us, the Hebrew people. He said, they're not going to believe me. So, so what are you going to do? And really what he's saying, I have lack of authenticity. Are you really an authentic leader of, 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 of the Jewish people? And so what does God need to do here? Well, he answers here and says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll cover that as well. God can cover any base that we have when we give reasons to him about what we're to be and to do if we're struggling with God's call in our life. Then the Lord said, verse 2, what is that in your hand? And he said, a stick. Well, basically he said a staff, right? And if you're out in the desert area, if you're tending sheep, but even if you're just climbing, you know, a hill, a lot of times people don't like to climb without something in their hand, right? Now they have those things you can buy at REI or Big Five, and they're, they look like, um, um, what do they look like? They look like Ski poles, right? But, but normally what people do, they say, I want to find a stick, and they're using a walking stick, right? Um, when, we, when we stumble a lot, then we call them a what? A cane. But anyway, you know, canes can kind of help you go from point A to point B. And so he has a stick in his hand. And, and the point I want to make here, and we're basically going to be looking at this, is that at this point, he's struggling because I don't think they'll believe me. He says, okay, I'll make you believable. Now, I, want to, oh, I don't want to over-devotionalize this, which means, you know, overly spiritualize it. But often when God makes us believable, he starts with something common, ordinary. But then he makes it extraordinary. There was nothing extraordinary about the staff he was holding, okay? It didn't have any magical powers within it. It was just a piece of wood that he used either to corral the sheep or to walk in uneven ground. I'm going to take what you got... I'm going to do something with it. Well, what does he do with it? Familiar story for some of you. So 
he said, take this stick this staff, and throw it on the ground. Now he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. So the, the initial thing that God did was not a particular pleasurable thing. What, a snake? Anybody here like snakes? We got one or two hands here, okay? Um, uh, most of us, that, that, that's... You know, we, we don't want to take a vacation with a bunch of snakes, right? We, we'd rather go where snakes are not, all right? And, and so uh, Moses, uh, and, and this, I don't know what kind of snake it was, but if he fled from it, it's, it's either poisonous, it was the least dangerous, right? I think we could all agree there. And so he fled from it, but the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by its tail. Has anybody grabbed a, a snake by the tail? <laughs> we got one or two hands there, Okay. Most people, as far as the, the, the reading I've done on snakes, if, if you're really going to be good at, you know, taming the snake or making sure the snake doesn't get you, you don't grab it by its tail, but you use something that, and you put it right at their what? At their neck, all right? And when you can pin the neck, then you take your hand and you grab the neck of the, of the, of the snake and you can now control that which could bite you, Right? If you grab by the tail, that snake might be quicker than you and, and crawl up your arm and bite you. But he said, look it, I, I want you to trust me. Grab it by the tail. And then he snapped it back from a snake into a stick or a staff again. He says, look it, when, when people see you do that, taking something ordinary like a staff, turn it into a serpent or a snake and then snap it back, they're going to say, hey, you got skills that most people don't have, Right? I think I can believe that you're going to be able to do something which seems impossible. They thought it was impossible to get freedom out of Egypt. But God took something very common. Interesting about the story, and this continues throughout the book of Exodus, uh, there's some things here in which God was using something that would really strike at the heart of the Egyptians, particularly the Pharaoh. A a snake, um, it was interesting, on the headdress of of a Pharaoh, um, the thing he would wore in, in the regal times when people came before him so they would see his authority, see his uh, stature as a, as a person, that he being the authentic ruler of the day. And, and, and let's just be honest. When we think about God encountering the powers of this world, often the powers of this world will take men and deify them. In Jesus' day, what the, the Roman Empire struggled with is that Christians would say that Jesus is curios, or Jesus is Lord. And for a Roman citizen, they didn't think anything else was Lord other than who? Caesar. Caesar is Lord. And in the time of Egypt, it was Pharaoh that was Lord. But the message of Moses was going to be, no, it's not Pharaoh that's Lord. It's not any of these gods, these littler gods that you have in your, in your pantheon of gods. God is Lord. And so this, this figurine of a, of a cobra snake on the headdress of a pharaoh, God's going to use that and say, look, you think that's so impressive? See this stick? Here's a serpent. And see, when I want that serpent to obey my thing, now that serpent, that snake becomes a stick. But he knows that Moses is struggling with this, and he also wants to be convincing to all the people he's going to lead. He says, okay, now take something else that's ordinary. Take your hand. And um, in my uh, translation, it says bosom, but basically it's the coat of, his, of, his, of, of what he's wearing. The Lord furthermore said to him, Moses, now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. 
Then he said, put your hand into your bosom again. And so he put his hand into the bosom again. And when he took it out of his bosom, he behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So now he's going to be addressing the Egyptians saying, look, everyone likes to be healthy. Now, a lot of times we don't think about our health until somehow we've what? We've lost it, right? You know, if, I, if I'm doing well, I don't ever think about, you know, how come I, you know, if, if my, I, I, I pulled a muscle when we were in Israel. I, we were, well, that's a longer story. But anyway, is that, you know, I, I never think about my, my calf muscle or my, my hamstring or whatever it might be unless I pull it. And then I go, man, I can't think of anything else because every time I walk, it, it's painful, right? He says, look, you think that you're all powerful, that you can do with us whatever you want to do. Okay, I'm going to take something that you take for granted, like your hand, right? If your hand's not hurting right now, you're probably not thinking a whole lot about it, right? But he says, take this hand that's healthy, put it in your coat, pull it out, and it's now leprous. It's interesting, I did some reading, studying on, lepr- on leprosy that turns white, and they were struggling about what it might be. This is what could happen to your hands. They say it could, be, could have been vitiligo, it could have been ringworm, it could have been syphilis, it could have been mildew, or what I like, it's the rot. And so what he did is say, I'm going to give you a sign. Take a healthy hand, put it in your coat, pull it out, and now it's rotten. Now that's going to get people's attention, isn't it? You can take that which is diseased and make it healthy again. You can take that which is healthy and make it diseased. But God says, look, it, uh, let's, 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 uh, let's go one step further. Take something else over here. I took a, took a staff, took a hand. Uh, how about some water? At the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe either of these two signs or heed what you say, then you will take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. Now, water's pretty ordinary, right? We take that for granted. He said, well, take some water now, throw it on the ground. And what happens to it? It turns to blood. And he uses it as one of the plagues later on. And the Nile, just like the snake was a serpent, was a symbol of the power of the Pharaoh, and just like health is what everyone wants and doesn't want to lose, he says the Nile, that was, that was the security blanket for the empire of the, of the Egyptians. The Nile is that which they was used to feed their crops. The Nile was used to, to feed their animals. And, and, and if something happened to the Nile, everything was going to be for loss. And he says, look, they're going to believe you. You're going to take something common like water, throw it on the ground, and it's going to turn to blood. Now, again, I, I, I don't think God's going to probably give you too many of those miracles. But God can take the common in your life, use it in an extraordinary way, and people can notice it. You know, if you have a car and, and use it to help other people, like those who can't drive, you pick them up, that, they're going to be, well, why do you do that? Because I care about people. If you have the ability to fix a meal and you find out somebody, you know, can't fix a meal and you use it to fix somebody, to give them a meal, that, that's going to show you love people. If you've got a telephone and you call people up who are lonely, and, you know, that's something common, but God can use it to show the love of Christ. And that's what he does here. He does it, does it with our lives as well. Now, he does it here in a miraculous way, but it's, it's a miraculous thing you do when you listen to people that feel no one's listening to them. And so, so God is taking these, these reasons why, why my Moses said, I can't do it, and said, look, it, you, you can. You, you who think you can't do it, you can, and I'll give you the ability. You, you who think you have no authority, I'll give you authority. 
You're going to get the credentials because my hand is going to be upon you. You think that you can't be believed? I'll take the ordinary in your life and, and, the, and the presence of God will show forth. Now at this point, you're thinking, okay, he's going to stop. He doesn't. Verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So what is he saying here? I, I, I can't speak well. How, how can I be your spokesman when I... Uh, in fact, he's, he's, he's kind of describing descri- himself like, like, he's, like he's stuttering, stuttering. I, I'm slow of tongues, slow of speech, and even when I get it out, I get it out too late. You ever had that experience? Man, I had a great comeback. It just came 10 minutes later, you know? If I was quicker on the feet, you know, then, then God, you can use me. But I'm, I'm, I'm smart when the game's over, you know. Now, it seems to me a little bit like he's pushing the envelope here. Other than possibly these last 40 years have so destroyed his confidence. He can't even remember what he used to be like. Because his first 40 years, when he thought he was somebody, the Bible describes him in Acts 7.22 that he was mighty and powerful in words and deeds. But now he says, look, I can't do anything well, and I can't speak very well. So how did God respond to that? Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. I don't, don't, (laughs) look at I, I know you're struggling. You're feeling like you can't speak for me, but you can. Now, we never say that, right? Well, I, I would, I, if I knew more, I would, I would talk more about Jesus. Or if I could say it right all the time, I'd talk more about Jesus. Or I never messed up. I get tongue-tied. I, or if I could come up with a great response every time someone asked me a question, I would talk more. The guy said, look it. I made your mouth. I'll give you words to say. Don't compare yourself with others. If I've called you to speak... I'm the, form, I'm the one who formed your mouth, and I'm the one who give you words. So he, he's, and I, I had to get one more A, so I put it this way. He, he lacked auditory skills, which is basically sound skills. He said, the sounds out of my mouth aren't sufficient. And so this, these are actually legitimate reasons. If you can't do it, you can't do it. He says, look, I'll be with you so you can do it. If you don't have authority, permission to do it, he says, okay, I'll give you my authority. If you're not believable, I'll make you believable. People will, will listen to you. I'll, I'll, give you I'll give you authenticity. And, and if you think you can't speak, just re- remember, I made your mouth, and I'll give you enough sounds out of your mouth that will make sense. At this point, I think God is graciously and patiently putting up with the reasons that Moses is giving to him. And it's all right to, in a sense, to argue with God at times. But then he takes one step further. Verse 13. But he, Moses, said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. That's code language, say, whomever other than me that you want to. I mean, he had already called him, but now he's saying, look, send somebody else. And then the commentary on that is, Verse 14, then the anger of the Lord burned 
against Moses. He goes on the rest of that passage to say, look, I'll get, it. I'll get her done whether you say yes to me or not. And he brings in Aaron. But I don't think we can go beyond that comma there. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He was patient with him before, answered every response. And now the reasons had become an excuse. I'm not going. Send somebody else. And and this is where we all need to wrestle. When, when, When we wrestle with what God wants us to do and what he wants us to be, it's all right to wrestle, but is the real reason we don't do what God wants us to do or what he wants us to be is simply at this moment that him of the faith, trust and obey, is not where we're at. We're not willing to do what he, because for whatever reason, our fears are controlling us rather than our faith. We sing of the greatness of our God, but at that moment, our focus is on ourselves and not him. And it says God's anger burned against Moses. I put it this way in your so what part of your outline. God meets us in our weaknesses. And Moses had some weaknesses. He had a lot more strengths than most of us have, but he had some weaknesses, and, and God met him in every single weakness, patiently responded to every objection. But he gets mad at our unwillingness. Then I thought of as I was going through this, I I could look at all kinds of applications in my life or all kinds of applications for your life in terms of just brainstorming. But I, I think we can all do this for ourselves. Where is it I am unwilling, not incapable? Where is it I'm saying no to God simply because I'm making an excuse and not a reason? And that's the other part of the nature of God. God loves us, is gracious to us, is merciful toward us. But there comes a place when we say no and his anger begins to burn. So this week, as we have opportunity to live with him and for him, when God calls you to speak for him, to help someone that it's within your capacity to help or speak to or be involved in someone's life that needs your involvement. To begin a ministry or to participate in a ministry that you know that you could be an asset to. Ask yourself, do, do I have legitimate reasons? These were good reasons. And, and can God respond to those reasons? Or to go through the, the mist in, the, in your own life or the, the fog that you're now enveloped in is, is really, if you're honest with yourself, the reason I'm, I'm saying no is it's because I have an excuse. And the excuse primarily is I just don't want to do what you're calling me to do. God loves us, but there are times he's angry with us when we say we trust him, but we don't obey him. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask uh, that you might just cause us to consider how you worked with Moses.
Be gracious for your patience and gracious, be thankful for your patience and for your provision. But help us not step into that part of that story where we, we make you angry at us because we're not trusting you. Help us as your people to, to be used by you. And Father, I would pray for anyone here this morning that maybe doesn't know you personally. Might, might they recognize that, that you're reaching out to them and you're simply asking them to trust you. Trust you that this one who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, that he is the one who sets us free from the burdens of this world. But you've called us to trust you. Place our life in your hands to acknowledge that what you did on the cross is sufficient for us and you want us to follow you. Help us to be your people this week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.